Welcome to the Southland Christian Ministries podcast. Here we will post sermons that have been spoken at the camp from pastors, evangelists, and other gifted speakers. We desire to provide this resource to help you saturate yourself with the Word of God on a regular basis. We pray that you would allow the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to change your life for God's own glory. Romans chapter 12, Romans 12 tonight, where we'll be spending most of our time. I've been in various texts really all over, but tonight we're going to camp out for the most part in Romans chapter 12 and the first two verses, but we're going to, um, we're going to actually start in a moment with the last verse of chapter 11. I have had a really good day. Have you? been refreshing. I can, I can just, in my own spirit, feel how the Lord is bringing a, a renewal even to my own heart and a time of refreshing. I think I've taken uh, three short naps today, and that might have something to do with it. Uh, I got here pretty, pretty weary and well-doing, but uh, I'm, uh, I'm coming out of it. And we're almost done, though, is the only problem. So, But certainly the, uh, the setting here, the the ministry of the godly, gracious people that are part of this staff um, has just been great. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm at, a, I'm at a, a wonderful phase of life as, as, as an old guy. I get to go around and see some of my, a lot of my former students that are in ministry and churches and camps and places like this and, um, and just get reacquainted, find out what God is doing uh, in and through their lives, and that, that's just an, an incredible privilege. And this evening at dinner was, uh, in, before and after dinner, was just really uh, special in that way. You know, it's a privilege to be part of the family of God, isn't it? Right. And um, it's a big family, with a lot of, lot of connections, and uh, it's just, uh, heaven's going to be a wonderful place. Yeah. We're going to do some, sure enough, catching up when we get to heaven. And... Uh, so I just want to thank again the, the staff here, Brother Herbster, and every person who's had a part. The food has just, I'm going home five pounds heavier, okay, and I'm sure, and so, uh, but that meat tonight, I, have, I don't remember tasting so many flavors in one meal of tasty meat than, than tonight, and the, the fish, I like fish, and that was good at lunch today, and just uh, the breakfast was strong as well, and it's all, it's all just been really really good. Now, I know I'm talking to a bunch of Texans here. Is that, am I got that right? How many of you are from Texas? How many of you are from Texas? Okay, I mean, you're in Texas, you're from Texas. I have never spoken to this many Texans in all my life. I just want you to know that. I've just been in other, it's just, it's a privilege to te- be talking to Texans. And uh, when I was a boy, what I remember in our church in Alabama is it, it seemed like we had preachers come up from Texas. And, and they, they had flowing white hair combed back and they had uh, belts with big big belt buckles on them does this sound like texas to you and and shiny pointed toed cowboys boots and that's what i remember growing up is that what that's what texas preachers look like i know i don't look exactly like a texas preacher but here i am with white hair at least that part of it you know i feel like i'm 
I'm now one of the Texans preaching to Texans with my white hair. I'm not going to comb it back. And I, I don't know if I could, I don't know about the boots and the belt buckle, but uh, it sure is good. I like Texans. I, I'm, I'm warming up to you guys. This is good. And uh, y'all, are, y'all are humble, and I, I like it. I like it. Uh, I really do. And so thank you. for Some of y'all came a long way to be here. To me, it was a long way. Maybe to you, it's just next door to drive five or six hours to get somewhere. But uh, I, I think that's really great. And so keep coming. You're, you're in a great place. These, if, if, you're, if this is your first time or just, you're just getting acquainted, this is the real McCoy, okay? This, this group of people that serve here in this camp, these are people who truly love God, who are people of integrity, and whose roots are deep, and it's, love, it's wonderful to see the young people coming along, and uh, the next generation, and taking the leadership, and serving the Lord, and just being what they should be as well. That's really encouraging, and so I just praise the Lord that I can have a small part in this. Well, we've been talking about renewal, uh, different ways to express that, but uh, different words, revive, restore, refresh revitalize, re- revival, these are all parts of being renewed. We, we said last night, we started out, that the Christian life begins with the renewal of conversion, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, of the Holy Spirit. So when we get saved, we get new life, and uh, God, God is renewing us, starting the process of renewing us to be what he originally attended his, uh, his created pe- people to be, and that is to be like Christ. And so we, we get on that pathway, and then we go through a process of constant renewal. That, that is sustained. The Christian life is sustained by the renewal of cleansing. We kind of camped out there last night, and I think God worked in our hearts, and I think some folks really came clean with the Lord last night. And so praise the Lord for that. Uh, Let us cleanse ourselves, therefore, from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness uh, in the fear of God. So the Christian life is sustained by the ongoing process of, of our seeking Christ and cleansing our hearts by His grace, by His blood afresh uh, from our sins. Tonight... My, my big point tonight is that the Christian life is advanced by the renewal of consecration. The Christian life is advanced by the renewal of consecration. Now let's pause for a little context, okay? We're at Romans 12, 1 and 2, and the verse just prior to that says this. It says, for of him, 1136, for of of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The book of Romans is about the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Theologically, the book of Romans is largely about the doctrine of justification by faith. And to you and me, we we understand that when we put our faith in Christ, that uh, in so doing, then God declares us 
justified. He declares us righteous in the sight of God. It's really a legal matter. He exonerates us from sin, from its penalty, ultimately from its power, one day from its presence and we'll be in heaven. That's justification, sanctification, glorification that I've just uh, described to you. But I'd like to frame it a little bit like this from the book of Romans. The gospel answers a profound question. This is all by way of introduction. The gospel answers the question, how can an infinitely holy and righteous God allow totally sinful people like you and me to be thoroughly right with himself by a perfectly just means? How can an infinitely holy and righteous God allow totally sinful people to be thoroughly right with himself by a perfectly just means? If you and I were to go to a courtroom and the judge were to pronounce a murderer innocent and we knew that the man was guilty of that, we would be aghast with the injustice of the judge and the whole injustice of the situation. So how is it that the perfect judge of the universe can declare sinners like you and me who are totally deserving of the wrath of God? For the wrath of God is hanging over his creation. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Romans 1.18. And for two chapters, uh, Paul, under inspiration, sets forth why all Jewish people, all Gentile people, all mankind are sinners. We are all under condemnation. For whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. So it is without question that we, we deserve the wrath of God. We deserve hell and punishment. And yet, God's wonderful plan of salvation makes it possible for sinners like you and me to be declared right in the sight of God, to have a right standing with God. Isn't that wonderful? And how could it be? Well, here's how it is. It's that God Almighty, God the Father, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, His eternal Son, with whom he enjoyed fellowship for all eternity past. He sent him to this sin-cursed earth and he lived a perfectly sinless life on earth. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And so Jesus then voluntarily and with some struggle, though he came to die when you were down to the Garden of Gethsemane and he was facing alienation from his father for those hours on the cross and all that he would be going through he, he actually prayed as you know you know let this cup pass from me if yeah. you can nevertheless not my will but thine be done and so he went to the cross of calvary subordinating himself to his father's will and shed his blood and suffered and died there for us it was a six hour span of time that he died there on the cross and he bore in our body our sins, in his body, our sins on the tree. 
We call that theologically the substitutionary atoning death of Christ. Romans 5.8 says that God commendeth, he showed, he proved his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so by Christ dying, then he was buried, then he rose bodily from the grave three days later. He ascended back, he lived on earth for 40 days to prove that he was, he was alive from the dead. He ascended back to the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit 10 days later and Peter proclaimed to the Jewish people in Jerusalem, he said, God has made this same Jesus whom he crucified both Lord and Christ. They understood what that meant. They had killed the Son of God. They were under conviction. 3,000 people were saved that day and baptized, and the church began. So how is it that a holy God can allow sinful people to be right with himself by a just means? And it, it is actually answered in the book of Romans. It says that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. It's because what Jesus has done for us that God can declare us righteous. And not only so, he takes our sin upon himself, Jesus does, and transfers his righteousness to us. And we're made, in reality, just as if we've never sinned. Isn't that something? God, Christ's righteousness is imputed to you and me. And I think this is the marvel that, that Paul is exclaiming about as he comes. Even Paul, the writer under inspiration, says in 1133, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. In part, he's not only talking about salvation, he's talking about salvation that's available not only for Jews who kind of had the inner track, but for Gentiles like you and me. Maybe there are some people from Jewish background here tonight. Thank God that you know the Lord. But I'm really glad God saves Gentiles, aren't you? So this was the marvelous thing is that God was going to engraft folks like us, Gentiles, into his great eternal plan and save Jews and Gentiles alike. And then Paul says, for of him and through him and to him are, uh, are all things to whom be uh, honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I like to put it like this. God is the source, God is the means, and God is the end of all things. Okay? And certainly that has to do with our salvation. And tonight I want us to have, as we approach this subject of consecration, a grateful and God-centered attitude as we contemplate what, what then God wants us to do with our lives. This is actually not about you and me in one sense. This is about God being first, foremost, and central in the life of the believer. Okay? So then, based upon that foundation, Paul says in almost every word, if not every word, is, uh, has uh, profound meaning as we come into these verses. There's, it's easy when you're familiar with something to overlook its significance. 
And these are familiar verses, probably to many of us. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray together. Lord, help us. Help us tonight to understand these verses and what you would have us to be and to do in our lives. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Consecration includes here in these two verses three, three primary aspects. Let me just give you the, the outline that we'll try to fill it out. Consecration, sometimes we'll use the word dedication. Total dedication involves the presentation of the body, it involves our separation from the world, and it involves the transformation of our minds. Paul here turns to brothers, people who know the Lord, Jews and Gentiles alike. And he implores us to to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, the presentation of our bodies. Actually, in this chapter, you will see the body referred to in verse 1, the mind referred to in verse 2, and the spirit referred to in verse 11, that we are to be fervent in spirit. God wants the totality of our being, certainly. But in the opening phrase, he's appealing to us to present our bodies. Now, the language of verses 1 and 2, especially verse 1, has embedded in it the language of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Words such as present, sacrifice, holy, acceptable, Service, service there that you see is actually the Greek word latreia, and the verb would be latruo, and it means priestly service. In the Old Testament, in the sacrificial system, nothing wrong with it in its day, but those that would bring, I'm, I'm reading through Leviticus right now, so I'm pretty deep in the reading about the, in, the intricacies of the Old Testament sacrificial system. They would, they would bring sacrifices But those sacrifices they would bring, they would slay on the altar and they would present then, as it were, an animal, a living animal, but a soon-to-be-dead animal, and that they would be presenting something outside of themselves. This would be um, illustrating or typifying or foreshadowing the ultimate sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross that we've already described. But that now has been fulfilled. That is past. The types and foreshadowings are no longer needed. The book of Hebrews talks extensively about how Christ is the better way than what Moses had there in the Old Testament. Glad for what Moses had, but it is no longer needed. In fact, to continue on into those types of sacrifices would actually be a form of false worship because it is not needed. There's been a once and for all sacrifice made for our sins. And the blood of bulls and goats cannot 
ultimately pay the penalty of sin anyway. But he's asking for us to come and not present a dead animal, but to present our own bodies now as a living sacrifice. That which is holy and and acceptable unto God. Has there ever been a time in your life when you have consciously, volitionally, meaning your will, passionately said to God as a believer, Lord, I am yours. Do with my life whatever you would like to do. I give you everything, lock, stock, and barrel. I belong to you. Direct my path. I'm going to pursue after the will of God. Verse 2 talks about that, that you, may, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The will of God is the entire reason for our existence as believers. And it is good and it is acceptable and it is perfect. And part of how we begin to discern that is to let go and let God be first, foremost, and central to be the means, to be the source, to be the end of all things, and that God would be, would be our all in all in our lives. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. That's a reference to God's wonderful plan of salvation unfolded in the book of Romans. And he's addressing us as brethren. Embedded in verse 1 is actually what we call the priesthood of the believer. No longer is, is, is this limited to Aaron and his sons, this type of priestly service. Every believer is a priest before God. We believe that as Baptists, don't we? Priesthood of the believer, we call it. it it's, there's, there's not special classes within the Christian church. Like Because somebody's a preacher doesn't mean he has an inside track. You have a personal direct access to God as a priest before God, and you don't have to go through a human priest or any other human mediator. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, our high priest, and that's enough. That's all we need. And so we, we come to the Lord and we present to him our bodies, it says, as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So consecration involves the body. You know, there could be a a weird philosophy, maybe referred to sometimes as dualism, where someone might think in an an Old Testament heresy or, or an ancient world heresy that says, Well, the body is inherently sinful, and material things are inherently sinful. Therefore, it's okay for me to sin with my body, but worship God in my spirit. And you go, well, that's kind of odd, okay? Well, there are thousands of people that sin on Saturday night in all types of licentiousness, and then go into houses of worship on Sunday to worship God supposedly with their spirit, and there's an enormous uh, contradiction between 
how they live on Saturday or Monday through Saturday and what they seemingly try to do on Sunday. Paul says in the book of Romans in chapter 6 and verse 12, he said, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members, that's the body parts, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. God wants every part of our body from the top of our head to the tip of our toes to be given to him. He wants our hands. He wants our eyes. He wants our ears. He wants our tongue. He wants every part of our body to be holy and dedicated unto him. Paul put it this way bluntly in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, the body is not for fornication but rather the body is for the Lord. It's going to take every bit of the Spirit's filling and the grace of God in a culture like we live in that is permeated with carnality and sensuality and temptation for you and for me to stay holy to the Lord in our bodies and for that matter in our minds. But this is what God requires of us. So consecration involves the presentation of our body. It is good, I believe, to do that in a major life-altering way that is memorable in which you absolutely let go and let God have your life. It is also important to die daily and to daily uh, kind of rededicate yourself, as it were, to the Lord and afresh say, God, I am yours. I read Romans 12 virtually every day. It is my marching orders. I read Old Testament, New Testament Psalms, Proverbs, and try to read through the Bible every year, yes. But when I'm done with that regular Bible reading, and by the way, you can read through the Bible actually at pulpit rate, at reading out loud rate, you can can do that in a lot less daily time than you think. I'm not saying make it fast, I'm just saying you'd be surprised. You could read through the Bible If you read in a certain Bible reading way of going through it, in about 20 to 25 minutes a day, you could be reading through the Bible every year. And we ought to see the overall picture of God's revelation on a regular basis. But also, there are parts of the Bible that just really really shoot really straight. And Romans 12 is one of those passages. And it's the marching orders. I like lists. A lot of times I'll be uh, at breakfast, I'll, I'll just read down through Romans 12 or whatever and add it on. So consecration is the presentation of the body, and then it is the separation from the world. And if you'll forgive me, I'm going to camp out here a little bit for a few minutes, okay? And I'm going to broaden this out to some other passages, because I'll tell you what happened with me as a teenager. I grew up in an independent Baptist church, and churches just like the kind of church that, that you're a part of. That's my crowd, okay? That's what I like. That's what I'm familiar with. And I grew up in the days of the counterculture revolution. I was born in 54, baby boomers were born from 46 to 64, so I was kind of right in the middle of the baby boomer generation, and, and I, went to a, I went to public school. I junior high, junior high, 7th, 8th, and 9th grade, we had 1,500 little baby boomers running around in Davis Hills Junior High School. 
And I was going to an independent fundamental Baptist church and I was hearing the gospel and I was hearing straight preaching. And I am so glad that I was hearing strong preaching in, in, a, in a camp near our, our hometown, just like, just like this camp. And that preachers were rearing back and telling teenagers uh, what they needed to be careful about and warning us about sin and talking to us about the world. We had an old raw-boned Georgia preacher that came over from Georgia to become pastor at our church in Huntsville, Alabama, is where I was at the time. And, and I didn't know it. I was a, I was a 14-year-old guy, but there, there was sin rife in our church. It was, there was an epidemic of serious moral sin in our church. And this old, I call him raw-boned Georgia preacher, you know, the kind of that would do like this, he would rear back. And I thought he only knew one verse. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And he was just preaching against sin and against worldliness. I had a foot in the church, but I had a foot in the world as well at the public school. And it was straight preaching like that, if, you can, if I can put it this way, who his preaching was out of this world, okay? He was preaching me out of, of being double-minded about the world. In this, in this passage, he says, and be not uh, conformed to this world. You look around a room like this, and virtually everything you see was, was produced uh, in a production line from a mold. It was shaped, the chairs that you're sitting on. The, the electronics that we see, the structure of this building. Nobody hand-carved, probably nobody hand-carved any of this. It was cut from a lathe or it was, you know what I'm saying? That's where you live around that. All Most everything you have on, uh, anything you wear, jewelry, what you, it, it's all been, it's all something that has been shaped. It's been, it's been conformed. And there is a world that is trying to pressure us into its shape and into its mold. And this verse says, don't let it happen. Don't be conformed to this world. The, world, the word here, there's two words for world, uh, underlying Greek words. And one is, uh, we, we, it's ion is the word. It, it would be said in our transliterated English, eon, but it really means age, okay? It's the spirit of the age. All of that which is current Say, secular, ungodly thinking, the spirit of this age. What's changed in the last 20 years is everyone has access to all of it, all the time, the entire world. You can no longer silo young people down into, into uh, protective cubicles because of the ever-presence uh, of the internet. Now, we should be protective in the way that we use the internet and our personal lives, certainly. But I'm just saying, everything is accessible to everybody, unfortunately, and we have to be exceptionally careful with that because that world is wanting you to conform. There's another word for world in the New Testament, cosmos, all right? And it is speaking, sometimes it just means the, the created universe. Uh, sometimes it means unsaved people who need the Lord. For God so loved the world in, in that sense, unsaved people. Aren't you glad he loves sinners like you and me? But then there's another sense in which it is the, the organized system that is 
in opposition and antagonism to the person and program of God. This is how it's used in 1 John chapter 2. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away. But whoever does the will of God remains or abides forever. Isn't that a great passage? 1 John 2, 15 through 17. You realize that worldliness is always seen in contrast with the will of God? That's what it is in here. Be not conformed to this world, but, but discern what is the will of God. 1 John chapter 2. You have the will of God, the, wor the worldliness described, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life the pursuit after prestige and pleasure and possessions, and that is in opposition to the will of God. He that doeth the will of God abides forever. You see it in James chapter 4. James 4, 13, go to now ye that say, we'll go into such a city and continue there for a year and buy and sell and get gain. That sounds like a good business plan, doesn't it? We're going to go over here and make some money. Uh, nothing wrong with having a business plan, but the underlying attitude of the entrepreneurial guy in James 4 is that is actually it's like this. I'm going to go where I want to do and do what I want to do, and I'm going to make the money I want to do, and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it independently of God. And James comes back and says, For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. And he says, and all such boasting is wrong. And to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him that is, it is sin. What it's saying there, I believe, is that we should live dependently upon God and not independently from God, even as we make our plans. Always make your plans contingent upon this being the will of God. Don't live a life of arrogant pride independent from God. Don't be conformed to the spirit of this age or to what we call worldliness. Let, let God be God in your life. Let him be first, foremost, and central. Are you a worldly man? Do you have, you may be regular in church even, but are your values really worldly? They're really primarily monetary or personal pleasure or desire for prestige or things that, similar things that really is what the world is all about. Are you willing to forsake all of that, not being conformed to this world, not having the world's approval, in order to pursue after the will of God. So consecration involves separation from the world. That's not isolation, by the way. And that's not because we need to, we need to be in touch with unsaved people. Last Friday, I went to the Washington, D.C. area for the final time 
to witness to my 85-year-old unsaved uncle with whom I have spoken about the gospel on a number of occasions. When I was a teenager, he tried to talk me out of going into the ministry. I can still remember Gainesville, Florida. We were, I think we were riding in a car. And he was saying, you know, he was really trying to uh, reason me out of going into the ministry. I, I, I love my uncle. Uh, my mother's youngest brother. Uh, I talked to him from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I said to my uncle, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. He's decided to not take a kidney dialysis treatment. He already had the ports ready to go, and he said no. He said, why, why extend my life any further? I talked with him probably about 45 minutes. I'm so glad that I could do that. He's kind, he's gracious, he's, he, he listened, he's never been disrespectful. I don't want to be isolated from people like that. I think we always have to remember, we're not better than anybody else. Only reason I'm on this side of that conversation and he's on the other side is the grace of God. So we should love sinners. That's why I go into the detention center. I like being there. I actually feel at home there. I do try to get out every time I get in. It's worked out pretty good so far. <laughs> But I probably have more in common with some of those saved men in there than I might have with some other folks in life. And I always remember that if it weren't for the grace of God, I'd, I would be. I would be in there. I would be in there. Yeah. Separation is not isolation. But it's a type of inoculation so that the Spirit of God is enabling us as we have contact and we live in this world and so forth that that we don't let our lives be shaped by it. But rather, but rather, and third point, he says, but be ye transformed, and here's our big word for the weekend, by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Transformation of the mind is the means by which we are renewed. This is not a point in time matter so much as a process. This word transformed is used, the Greek word is used four times in the New Testament. It's used in Matthew 17 and in Mark 9, and there it's translated transfigured. It's about the transfiguration of, of Christ. You remember on that occasion that they had the three, Peter, James, and John, the inner circle, and, and uh, momentarily it appears, uh, just for a short period of time, the veil of flesh was minimized and the glory of God so brightly shone through Jesus that he, his clothing, it says, was like a that which had been bleached white by fuller. It glowed. Those three men got to see the glory of Christ as he really is unveiled from human flesh. 
Uh, Peter never got over it. He says we were eyewitnesses of his majesty in 2 Peter 1. John never got over it. John 1. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When you see the glory of God, you really don't get over it. And then there's a verse that really talks about the process of how this, this transforming goes on in our lives. My favorite verse to preach from is 2 Corinthians 3.18. 2 Corinthians 3.18. I probably preach from that verse more than any other verse in the Bible. The verse says this. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The word change is our word transform. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are changed by beholding the Lord. This is why ministries like this and your church will emphasize the importance of Bible reading and prayer, thoughtful meditation, so that we are letting the Word of God, the glory of Christ seen in the Word of God, a Christ-centered, God-centered ministry, actually transform our character as we gaze on the character of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Somebody said you're going to be the same person a year from now that you are now except for the people that you're around and the books that you read. Let me, let me reframe that. You're gonna, you and I are going to be the same believer that we are a year from now, that we are now, except for the person that we're around and the book that we read. Robert Murray McShane put it this way. He said, The glance of faith may save but it is the gaze of faith that sanctifies. The glance of faith may save, but it is the gaze of faith that sanctifies. But we all, this privilege of being in the body of Christ, knowing Christ as Savior, but we all, not limited to a class of people or a Jewish group or a Gentile group, but we all with unveiled face, having been saved, with unveiled face, beholding as in a glass, the old ancient mirror, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image. That's the image of Christ from one degree of glory to the next, from one level of Christian experience to the next. We are changed in the same image. And we, that transformation takes place, it says, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And that's what happens when we get serious about God. We are changed, and our minds are renewed, and gradually, over time, we become more and more like Jesus Christ. And it's good to come off to a retreat like this. It's real good. It's real good to sing together as men. It's great to fellowship together. It's wonderful to have places like this that we can come apart to and find a refuge and find a quiet spot and get away from things and so forth. It's really great. But the transforming of our lives to be like Christ is something that can take place in our daily lives, in our normal setting, and it must take place in that setting. 
It takes place in our local churches. It takes place as we interact with one another. It takes place as we go to bed early, and we talked about today, and get up a little bit early and uh, get into the Word of God in prayer. It involves fellowship with our fellow believers where we're sharing with one another how God is working in our lives. There's a whole transformational process that brings about the renewal of our hearts and minds before the Lord. So the Christian life is advanced by the renewal of consecration. Let's ask ourselves tonight, afresh and anew, is my life actually, as a believer, is my life actually genuinely dedicated and consecrated to the Lord? I may be talking to some some young men tonight, and you've got everything coming at you in your life, and you've got, you think at least, uh, uh, your life's ahead of you. The most important thing next to being saved that you can do is to let Christ have total control of your life. When I was a a 15-year-old boy, our preacher, Jim Harwell, was waxing and wailing, like I described earlier, that strong preaching. And I remember on a normal Wednesday night service, I went forward in that service and dedicated my life to Christ. And my life has never been the same since then. You know, I knew there were some friends that I was going to have to change if I was going to really live for Christ. I wondered if I would even have any friends, but I, I was determined at that point that if I didn't have any friends, I was, my best friend was going to be the Lord Jesus. Amen. And you know what's happened? Like in so many ways in the Christian life, I, I, it's just unbelievable the number of real friends I have in Christ today. It's unbelievable. He gives us everything that pertains into life and godliness. He'll meet all of your needs. I could stand here for a very long time and testify about the many, the many ways that God has been so, so good. Don't fear the future. Just put it all in the Lord's hands. I may be talking to some, some men here tonight that you feel the, the tug and pull of God upon your life, maybe to, to serve him, maybe in a full-time way. Let him have his way in your life. Get some some counsel. Get some help about that. But but be willing to do whatever it is that the Lord has for you to do. It it may be that you're a a middle-aged guy. You might even be an older gentleman here tonight. And and, and maybe you can recall days when you you felt closer to the Lord and you felt more uh, like you, you really wanted God to work in your life. But tonight and this weekend... Or the process leading up to this through your pastor and others. You're like, I've got to get back to where I know that I am totally consecrated and dedicated to the Lord. Get the sin out. Get him first, foremost, and central. And let him have his full way in my life. Maybe you've, you've gotten off the, the, the path under the wrong road. Well, you know what you need to do? You need to pull into a driveway, back out and get back to get on the right road where you need to be. That's what you need to do. Okay. And God will help you with that. You may be an older gentleman. 
you may, you may be down into the last decade or half decade or whatever it may be that you've got ahead of you. But I, I like what Psalm 92 says. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing to show that the Lord is upright and there is no unrighteousness in him. I like that. You can make these good years of your life really count. So give it all to God. Would you bow your heads with me tonight? I'm just going to ask you to do what God wants you to do tonight. God spoke into your heart. I'm going to invite you to step out, come forward, kneel here at these steps, kneel at your chair, sit if you prefer, but I want to ask you to do business with God tonight. So for some of you, that means following up on something you did last night uh, when God worked in your heart. This is consecration. This is dedication. It may be for some here tonight, this is actually the first time that you can consciously remember the Spirit of God working in your heart and calling you to a life of total dedication and consecration to Him. I'm inviting you tonight. I'm exhorting you tonight. Young or old, I'm exhorting you to give your life totally to Christ that He'd have His total way in your life. I'm going to ask the pianist to play. I'm going to ask you to, to respond to God. And however it is that He wants you to respond, but feel very free to come forward, kneel here, pray here. If you need help, just let us know. We'll do that. You come. This may be for some rededication. Brothers, it may be a first-time dedication to the Lord. But you say, I want Him to have His way in my life. You come. Let God have His way in your life. I'll be quiet now. You pray. Let Him have His way. working in your heart. Should you come tonight? Let him have his way. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the truths learned from the Word of God will challenge your heart to a greater degree of love for God and a desire to make Him known through your life. Join us next time for our next sermon. Thank you and God bless.